Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, nderf.org. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Show notes for this program and each of our programs can be found at neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. Today we're going to share the experience of a man named Jamin or Jamin. I wish I knew exactly how to pronounce it. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. But uh, he says, Around 3 p.m. close to Poitiers, France, about one week before my ninth birthday, I'm walking from the commercial center towards home as my mother accepted to let me go alone for the first time. I'm in a hurry to arrive as I'm excited to meet the children of my mother's companion that I never saw before, so that while crossing the street, I don't see coming up upon me the big truck. In fact, is it's only a car. The car hits me head on. I'm told that I did travel backwards. Some uh, I did a triple backwards somersault. I find myself on the road several yards away, unconscious. Then I see my body laying in the ambulance, covered by an orange-covered blanket. My vision looking down from the ceiling of the ambulance. I remember very clearly this out-of-body experience. I even have a detailed picture, like a photo. Then, coma three, cranial trauma and left thigh bone broken. Arrived at the hospital about a quarter of an hour later in coma two. Then, coma one and staying in it for 11 days, very long 11 days for my relatives, especially for my mother who was there and more involved. And my awakening, I'm talking about a vision of myself, of my body in the ambulance covered by an orange blanket. Then I describe myself as flying fast through the sequence of scenarios that seemed unlimited peripheral vision. I'm observing the journey. I am the journey. Firstly, there are black fields, a landscape of desolation that I have been drawing later in therapy, filled with corpses, limbs, and heads. Then, crossing sandy deserts, before arriving at a vast meadow covered with white flowers. Then, a green hill, brightly colored, a path and a big, paint, a big door style, which is diffused, or which is diffusing a very pure light, warm and mesmerizing that has something sincere, something like a soul. This gigantic door is sitting way up at the hilltop, and I see myself going on this path towards it. I'm observing this little jammin, but I am also this jammin. I'm at the same time, inside and outside, and the same applies to the hill and the scenery, and I have the impression to be in complete fusion with this environment, in an absolute well-being. This light, at which I am a part of, or that resembles me, comprises me, which pulls me irresistibly, I'm talking about a choice that I had been doing. This world was much more real than 
many moments in my earthly life. It is as if this day was engraved in me and changed me profoundly. I have the feeling to have known something at that moment. These are the facts of what I, rem- what I experienced and what I remember. Followed several days of, or several months of rehabilitation, screws in the leg, as well as several years of medical examinations, various psychodrama therapies, and drawing to integrate the accident and the dream, quote-unquote, anguish and warmth, confidence and fear. During many years, I didn't talk about it, little with my mother, more with my mother rarely, even, so to speak, not at all with my friends out of fear to be considered crazy or an extraterrestrial. Apparently, I changed quite radically after the accident. I considered myself invincible during a few months, my mother told me, which was quite unmanageable for her. But also, I asked my mother very soon to get me a teacher for piano or opera song or harp. I wanted to compose music to paint. I wanted to be an artist. That is the end of Jammin's experience. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe this uh, that Jammin is French. And from the language of the experience, I suspect it was uh, translated from French. Um, but uh, I, I could be wrong about that. Or it could be that, uh, that English is not a first language and, uh, and uh, Jammin... Um, wrote it in English as a second language. Anyway, the point is, um, you could hear in the language a little bit that this is not, um, you know, first language. Um, So, but the content of this is very interesting. You know, at first, when you start hearing the experience or reading the experience, it sounds like he doesn't actually remember it, but but he's remembering what people told him that he said after the accident. But as it goes along, he talks about how the memory is, is more vivid than uh, just about any other memory he's ever had. So clearly it is a strong memory, and it could be that he's trying to write kind of poetically, describing what he's seeing and so forth. But uh, let's go through this a little bit, because it's it really is a journey, it sounds like, from what he says. He's observing the journey, and I'm on the journey. He describes black fields, a landscape of desolation. This sounds to me like the beginnings, or at least the beginning sounds like a distressing near-death experience. And um, he describes this landscape being filled with corpses, limbs, and heads. I mean, terrifying. That's, that's horrifying. He doesn't say how he felt, whether he was frightened or just grossed out by it, or, or whether there was any reaction at all. He doesn't say. But I would be troubled by that. Anyway, uh, he says, then crossing sandy deserts. Now, that's an interesting description because I have heard of people describing distressing locations in the spirit world of people walking across sandy deserts uh, or empty, you know, salt flat kind of uh, plains with long shadows and everybody mumbling to themselves in complete depression, completely unaware of each other's presence kind of thing. Very lonely, very, you know, uh, painful. And I don't know 
um, if this is what kind of sandy desert this was. Maybe it was a beautiful sandy desert, but he's going from this landscape of desolation to this sandy desert, and then finally arriving at a vast meadow covered with white flowers. And then next thing he finds himself on a green hill, brightly colored with a bright and big door style. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, by Dr. Seuss, where every page is this whole new landscape of strange and, and interesting things, some of them beautiful, some of them somewhat frightening, and, and so forth. Though there does seem to be a progression upward, as if he's starting at the bottom and working his way up. The desolate place to the desert place to the meadow of white flowers, and then this green, brightly colored hill uh, with a bright path, a brightly colored path, and a big door which diffusing, which is diffusing a very pure light, warm and mesmerizing, that has some sincere, something sincere, something like a soul. So it's like he's 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 sensing life from this door and it's unclear whether the door is coming from the other side of the door or if it's the door itself but either way he says this gigantic door is sitting way up at the hilltop and I see myself going on this path towards it I'm, I'm still seeing you know oh the places you'll go and I'm observing this little jammin, so he's seeing himself as a little person, but I'm also this jammin, he says. I'm at the same time inside and outside. He's recognizing, or he's sensing, he's experiencing both from first person, from this little jammin, and then also from this more backed off, I don't know if you want to say omniscient in a, in a book sense, you know, from backed off looking at it, uh, from the di from a distance, but he can see himself from above, and he can also see from the perspective of his eyes. This is common, strange to be sure, but very common. But he says, uh, I'm inside and out, and the same applies to the hill and the scenery. This is interesting. The same applies to the hill and the scenery. And I have the impression of being in complete fusion with this art, with this environment, okay, the, and this light, he's a part of it, resembles him, it comprises him, it pulls him irresistibly, it, he's part of all this, it, it sounds like he is seeing everything from the perspective of the hill, from the perspective of his own head, uh, the spiritual body head, I should say, um, from the perspective of somewhere overhead, uh, probably from the perspective of just about anything on the landscape. What, what in the world? What, what is that? And yet that seems to be the case. And uh, he says, I'm, all, I'm also talking about a choice that I'd been doing. I, I get the impression he's, he's realizing that he's faced with a choice. And that's really all he mentions about the experience itself. So I assume he either decides to come back or he just instantly finds himself back. But uh, but then he goes on to talk about the years of trying to come to terms with what he's experienced. It takes time for people, especially if they had no real spiritual basis previously, and then all of a sudden they have this near-death experience. They are experiencing something intense 
and and something that is beyond anything that is within their experience. I mean, everything that they thought was isn't, and everything that they thought isn't is, you know, and it's it's crazy. But it's interesting also to mention his uh, his after effect, and this seems to be a common after effect, and yet one that is not unique to near-death experiencers, and that is his interest in art and music and singing. He says that uh, he wanted his mom to get him to teach him to play piano or to learn to sing opera music or to play the harp. He says, I wanted to compose music, to paint. I wanted to be an artist. What is it about art that is close enough to the spirit realm that people who go to the other side and return with after effects of needing to be involved in art? Is it a need, a desperation to recapture the beauty of the other side? Well, maybe, but not everyone who goes to the other side sees anything. They don't all hear anything. They feel plenty. But maybe the feeling has more to do it, more to do with it than even what they see or hear, possibly. Because at the root of most art is emotion. And as anyone who paints or draws, the idea is to draw out an emotion. Anybody who does music knows that, that uh, music is a language through which emotion can speak. I mean, it is so emotional that uh, five seconds of a really effectively delivered tune can instantly change the emotions in a person. I don't know of many things that can do that. I don't know of many, you know, other than some of the, you know, negative ones, trauma or, you know, seeing something horrible, things like that. That will change your your emotions instantly. But how many things can, in a matter of a few seconds, even common everyday things that anyone has access to, as much as they have access to music, what other things can provide, I mean, almost on demand, an emotional experience of that intensity? And give it three and a half minutes and you are drawn in. That is the average time of a piece of music, at least pop music, a song, something like that. But whether you're talking about, you know, two and a half minutes or ten minutes, ten minutes to entirely change your emotional state I don't know too many things that'll do that other than music. And maybe that's one of the reasons that uh, people are drawn to the creative arts is because of the need to capture and find and, and to convey the feelings that they felt on the other side. I don't know. I don't know. Or maybe there's something inherently spiritual about creative things. That makes sense to me also because, you know, here we are children of the creator, the creator, and uh, it sounds like from what I read in near-death experiences, we are very much involved in that creation process. And so creation and creativity are probably divine attributes that uh, many of us have the opportunity to experience in this life. 
it's a small part to be sure you know it's it's not like creating life forms but it is a very effective way of you know creating and and having that sense of creation that perhaps our spirits deep down really want to do who knows very interesting though so if you would like to contact the podcast either with your own experience or to share a comment or ask a question you can do so by either calling 970-NDE-CAST or emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. I should say, if you call the number, it will give you three minutes. And if you don't finish in three minutes, it will cut you off. Call right back and and uh, continue your message over and over as many times as it takes. It is recording every time. Just because you got cut off doesn't mean it lost what you already said. And I can easily splice that together for the podcast. I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that by purchasing my book, Life in the Spirit World. Or you can go to patreon.com slash ndecast, which there's a link to on neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor there. And by so doing, you will also qualify yourself to be able to receive an additional episode of the show every week. There are six up so far, probably seven by the time you uh, get this. But anyway, thank you again, all of you, so much for listening. Mm-hmm.